Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at, at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So I'm I'm reading I'm reading from this Viva issue, the international magazine for women. It's been a minute since Viva sex advice columnist Dr. Judy has seen a physical copy of Viva magazine, since she could actually look at and reflect on her work. First thing I open is I'm captured by this photograph opposite my column with a naked woman just on her top naked. There's a pincer on her nipple. Truth is, unless you held on to them since the 1970s, issues of Viva, they're extremely hard to find. It's like the work of Viva's women, like most all work, if you think about it, has just poof, disappeared. But I have all the issues. I've been collecting them for years. I brought them to every editor and writer I met in person, including Dr. Judy. So I'm fascinated with this photograph. And then opposite it is my column, Sexual Fantasies, a study of erotic fantasies, their meaning, significance, and contribution to the human sexual condition, which is really kind of cool because it's not just the fantasy, but my analysis of it which comes from intelligence and a lot of experience and some scientific understanding and analytic understanding. When Bob first launched Viva, the sex fantasies column was written by a man. But when Dr. Judy took over, she blew this other guy's work out of the water. Just listen to one of her pieces. Fantasy nourishes our sexual psyches and charges our sexual energies. It adds the luster of the unexplored to our sexual experiences and experiments. Nearly every individual fosters some secret erotic fantasy. 
The range of these is as wide as the range of humanity. So true. And that is why, like humanity, they are infinitely interesting. Yes. This month, Viva continues exploring the complex, fascinating world of sexual fantasy. For just a second in our interview, Dr. Judy gets lost in the work, in her work. She'd forgotten. She's proud. Oh, I love this. Okay, it was always my thought. Your fantasy is, you are the, I love this. I would always tell people this. You are the producer, the director, and all the actors in your fantasy. You are not just you, you created them. So you are the guy or the girl or whatever, whoever else is in your fantasy, you made them up. And you're the one who's directing the show. So all of it belongs to you. You create the whole thing. So that was my favorite lesson, and I loved it. The women I talked to for this podcast were almost all in their 70s and 80s. They were decades away from their time at Viva. But they remembered it, often vividly. When Viva shuttered in January of 1979, it wasn't just the end of a magazine. It was the end of an era. So all of a sudden, all the openness about sex publicly stopped, and so people didn't have an outlet anymore. Whereas things were going upwards to being more educated on different levels, all of that was cut off. So what happened? Why did Bob pull the rug out from under everyone? And what can Viva's legacy reveal to us about sex and feminism today? From Crooked Media and iHeartMedia, I'm Jennifer Romolini, and this is the final episode of Stiffed, episode eight, The Last Word. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I am the ferryman. 
In the shadows of the afterlife, the Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Act one, the light bulb does not want to change. The formula should have worked. And to this day, I really don't know why it didn't. That's Gay Bryant, who you may remember had the original idea for Viva. Gay's still a bit flummoxed over why her idea didn't succeed. And so are some of Viva's editors, like Robin Wolaner. The editorial vision, I think, absolutely could have worked. I think the vision for it could have succeeded. Now, some of the editors I talked to thought Viva's failure had nothing to do with content or vision or execution. But something much bigger... Something systemic. Here's Viva and Penthouse editor Peter Block. I think the main reason Viva failed is that I can't think of a good, intelligent women's magazine that succeeded, ever. I mean, one after the other. There's been some great magazines, and they all go by the wayside. None of them succeeded. But most people I interviewed for this series hung Viva's downfall on one fatal misstep. Here's Viva writer Annie Gottlieb. The very same pictures failed to attract women. I mean, I think they missed the target of female sexuality, you know, by a mile, at least in the visuals. And here's Bob Guccione Jr. explaining. You know, women were disdainful of it. The average woman in the street, if they knew about it, just thought it was a magazine with men's genitalia showing. And even if some of Viva's readers claimed they wanted, quote, more cock. It lacked the sort of subtlety and imagination and, you know, fantasy element that women wanted in the magazine, that it was too in-your-face, too blunt. They didn't want to necessarily see this much naked male flesh. And it was just a different perception, the way, the way a man gets excited versus the way a woman gets excited. Even Gay seconds this sentiment. If I had to put it in a sentence, I think that the physical 
turns men on and the emotional turns women on. Okay, since the beginning of reporting this series, I've wondered a lot about this. Every Viva editor I talked to repeated this line. Women just aren't turned on visually. Women who are into men don't actually like looking at men's bodies, and especially not their dicks. Women need subtlety and softness. The male nudes could never work. Viva was doomed from the start, blah, blah, blah. And this line about women not liking porn is not limited to this story. It's a line used by cis, white, heterosexual men for decades as the reason not to fund female pornographers. It's a big part of why the porn industry still doesn't cater to women in a meaningful way, anywhere near the same way it caters to men. And here's the thing. It's just not true. You know, it's absolute bollocks that women are not visually stimulated. You fucking bet we are. That's Cindy Gallup. She's the founder of Make Love Not Porn, a feminist sex site that's a little bit social network, a little bit porn hub, except ethically curated and without the copious misogyny. You know, and research that's been done that show, show us porn, show us men's naked bodies, you bet we get wet. You know, that's a load of crap that we need emotion. I mean, women absolutely enjoy looking at men's naked bodies. You bloody bet we do. Cindy says the challenge of being a feminist in the porn business comes down to one very, very obvious thing. The patriarchy. We as women have never been allowed to bring our lens to bear on human sexuality and the world is a poorer place for it. The world makes it fucking difficult to innovate and disrupt social narratives around sex. And this tracks with the Viva story too with Bob and the male photographers art directing photo shoots, deciding what women desire without ever asking the women themselves. And as much as things have changed for women in the decades since Viva launched, this hasn't. It's an American societal norm that seems, for a variety of reasons, immovable. We're stuck. And so here's what has not changed since the 70s and is still enormously problematic today. Any industry that is male-dominated at the top inevitably produces output that is objectifying and offensive and objectionable to women. But what about feminism's gains? More women in boardrooms? Hell, all those female penthouse executives Bob loved talking about. Kathy Keaton at the top of Viva's masthead. Cindy's not hearing it. It's like the old joke about the light bulb. How many therapists does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but the light bulb has to really want to change. And in every single industry in popular culture that informs our views on everything, including the role of men, the role of women, the role of sexuality, what makes you sexually desirable, what doesn't, the light bulb does not want to change. And so maybe it wasn't that women didn't like looking at dicks in Viva. It's more that the men in charge, the gatekeeping dicks themselves, Hold on tight to, well, the dicks. They didn't actually ask the question, what do women want? Instead, they just asked, what would I do if I were a woman? But we kind of knew all this, right? Over the last eight episodes, we've covered all the iterations that Viva went through during its brief existence. And there were a lot. Naked women, naked men, no dicks, flaccid dicks, back to no dicks again. Cool, smart feminist writing, weird anti-feminist writing, lowbrow humor, highbrow fashion, etc., etc. And the thing is that 
Even though the editors tried a bunch of different things, none of them were commercially successful. Though it's hard to quantify how much of this was tied to Bob and the controversy that surrounded him. His reputation was for sure at least a small factor, especially when it came to making money through ads. Here's editor Robin Woolaner again. Viva had the problem of coming out of the penthouse organization. That didn't give any comfort to advertisers. And nobody was ever going to give Viva the benefit of the doubt on advertising. Magazines need advertising money, period. And mainstream advertisers of all stripes, especially those who advertise in women's magazines, like cosmetics brands, are today and have always been wary to be publicly aligned with porn and pornographers like Bob. And if Viva was unable to get ads, this would be reason enough to shutter it. But Viva also struggled on newsstands. It was never in, say, the supermarket checkout line. But instead, it was relegated to the dirty magazine section where only men shopped. But even beyond the dearth of ad or newsstand money, Bob and Kathy often made big, expensive, not entirely thought out bets with Viva's budget. I mean, just think about Anna Wintour's extravagant photo shoots, or even basic things like paper. Here's Peter again. He was printing it on thick, beautiful paper. It was, you know, just for a, for a commercial magazine, it just cost too much. But Viva had always lost money. Bob had been bleeding buckets of money into it from the beginning, since 1973. And it hadn't mattered to him much before. He could afford it. It was That wasn't the issue. Pendouse was so successful that it was probably a very efficient tax write-off even. Wait, a tax write-off? Was Viva just an elaborate scheme for one man to pay less than his fair share in taxes? When trying to pinpoint why Viva shut down, it's easy to get lost in the content of the magazine. What worked, what didn't. But a lot of times, these things are more just straight-up ruthless gaming of capitalism than you'd think. Because what we know is that from the beginning of Viva, Bob was able to use his women's magazine failure to offset his men's magazine, Penthouse's, success. I mean, it's always been my understanding that they kept Viva going until Bob could no longer use the losses to offset income from Penthouse, you know. But my understanding was that if you kept funding a losing business venture like Viva was past seven years, the IRS no longer considered that an investment. They considered it a hobby. So I I always heard that that timing, whatever that was, whether it was seven years or nine years, was correlated to Bob's inability to write off uh, the losses. With the tax write-off, it's fair to question what level of urgency, if any, Bob had to improve Viva's numbers. And like what Cindy Gallup said, the light bulb really has to want to change. And in many ways, change wasn't exactly in Bob's nature either. Here's Peter again. And he said, Peter, let me tell you something. When somebody tells me I'm wrong, I know I'm right. So if you have that belief and you follow through on it, it's a prescription for disaster. Because you can be, because he remembered, at least in his mind, that people had told him he was wrong, he wasn't going to succeed with Penthouse, and of course he succeeded. Uh, but he, you know, if he, he hired a lot of terrific people 
but ultimately uh, he didn't take any of their advice on things. It's late 1978 when Bob decides to shut it all down. Beva's a full five years old. Here's Peter again, only this time he's not on the phone. Well, look, this is what I heard working there. As the years were going on, was definitely people, people said a lot of things. So, you know, but people would say, well, Bob can take this as a tax writer for five years, but then he's, he, you know, he's just not going to keep doing it because he's just losing money. And I think it did end after five years. And for me, this timing is just a little too coincidental. So was Viva just a tax write-off, a, quote, hobby for Bob Guccione? Was he ever invested in its success? Or was it actually better for him the whole time if it failed? Just knowing Bob, he certainly didn't start this thing as a tax write-off. He would never do anything for the money, which is why he ended up dying without a cent. But at some point, if the magazine was failing after years and just not working, and his accountant said, look, after five years, you're going to have to start paying real money. It's no longer a tax write-off. I could see him listening because, I mean, he stopped other magazines too. But I, there's no way he started this magazine as a tax write-off or as an experiment. Or I think he really believed that this was something that could work. Bob Guccione was a stubborn, cisgender white man of the 20th century. He was a product of his time, the early 70s sexual revolution, which, by the time Viva ultimately fails, is coming to an end. Here's Viva writer Annie. The late 60s were like this rocket that propelled us into the 70s with all that hope and energy and exploration. And, but then there was, there was also inflation, as we have now, as the 70s progressed. And so it became harder to live on a little bit, you know. You couldn't just live this kind of gypsy life and this exploratory life. You had to work, you had to, you know, you had to make more money. And that brought people down, of course. So that's part, part of what happened was economic. When Viva finally folds, the 70s are all but over. No matter if Bob fumbled Viva or not, the brief window where a mainstream audience would have embraced a feminist porn magazine is closing. Porno chic is dead. In just a few months, Ronald Reagan will announce his presidential bid. Everything's changing. This whole feeling that it's a new morning in America. It's morning in America, right? The party, the stale party, you know, all of the crack vials and the condoms and the, the cocaine dust that's been lying around has all been swept out and everything is clean. Because once the 80s are ushered in... Well, we went backwards. Society went backwards. And I watched it happen. What happened was that society stopped being open about sex. So where did that leave the Viva editors and other talented women who worked at the magazine? We'll get to that after the break. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave. 
And then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife... The Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including... Actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Act two, Afterglow. Viva Magazine was Robin and Gaze and Anna Wintour's and dozens of women's first big job. A place where they learned how to do their work. And it was all because of Bob Guccione, a flawed, difficult, pain-in-the-ass of a man who also happened to do a lot of good. Here's Bob's head of PR, Leslie J. He definitely empowered me. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I really, I really think I came alive in that office 
doing what I did. I was able to reach my potential and go beyond even. You know, I loved my job. Because Bob did give all these women opportunities when a lot of the world was not. I mean, he'd call you honey, but he'd make you editor-in-chief. And many of them still admire both Bob and Kathy. I just saw that they were a, a team and that they always were into something new and what was coming. And I personally uh, resonated with that because that was how I lived my life. Like, what's coming next? Where, where is the world going? Where, how can we be on the edge of discovery? After Viva, Bob and Kathy continue on their path of professional discovery. They try to start a casino in Atlantic City. I was the second person to buy land in Atlantic City. Uh, I beat everybody except resorts. They dapple in animation. We've done a dozen Shakespearean plays that have been animated and sold all over the world. They're years ahead of predicting virtual reality and cyber sex, though they never implement it. Here's Kathy on Phil Donahue's show in 1994. The other interesting thing about this is you you do not have to appear in virtual reality as you. You can appear as a fantasy creation of yourself. But their biggest success comes from the new magazines they launched together. I totally loved when they got into the Omni magazine. I mean, they made this commitment to live 100 years and longevity, and sadly, both of them died of cancer, you know, way young. In 1997, Kathy Keaton, by then one of the wealthiest and highest-ranking publishing executives in the world, dies of complications from breast cancer. She was 58. She reached out to me while she was dying of breast cancer and was in a real state of denial about about her chances. And um, I went to New York to see her before she died. And it was really, you know, quite moving because she was hooked up to morphine, but wearing one of those outfits that she was always known for, you know, the skin-tight tank top, uh, with her bra showing and, you know, leopard skin or snake skin, uh, leggings. The idea of getting into an outfit like that when you're sick enough to be hooked up to morphine uh, is mind-boggling to me. But Kathy had tremendous self-discipline. Bob's never the same without Kathy. Here's his longtime friend, the photographer Earl Miller, who shot many of Viva's nudes. When Kathy died, he lost his own touch. Uh, he he became a recluse afterwards and. His story is like a Greek tragedy. The story of, you know, from rags to riches back to rags, uh, one of the richest men in the world, and he went broke. Bob had started Penthouse with Kathy. And truth is, he doesn't know how to run it without her. Penthouse is the linchpin of Bob's company, and he fails to evolve it at pace with the digital times is too slow to bring Penthouse online. By the early 2000s, the company, which was such a product of the 70s, collapses. And with it, so does Bob. He leverages everything to save his empire. He's forced to sell his Manhattan mansion and even his beloved art collection. He fights to the end. And then, of course, he got his own cancer. And uh, one of the profound impacts that he had with his own physical presence, was that incredibly easy, relaxed, baritone voice. The surgery in his throat changed his voice. It became a high-pitched, 
almost inaudible. Yet I had to put my ear up to his mouth to understand what he was saying. Bob Guccione, the proud lion of porn publishing, goes out not with a roar, but a whisper. He died in 2010. He was 79. Bob may have died with nothing, but he left a lot behind. Here's his son, Bob Jr. I I say his legacy is a great visionary, great artist, great painter, uh, a great editor, you know, believed and fought for the First Amendment, like unlike any other publisher has ever done, frankly. I think his legacy is strong. I think he was a very powerful, wonderfully flawed, brilliant genius. Bob and Kathy aside, some of Viva's biggest legacies are the women who worked there. Here's editor Betty Jane. I'm proud of what we did. And I look at the stuff sometimes, and I look at what's surprisingly not dated. I look if something is still funny, or if something is still prescient, or hits the nail on the head, or whatever. And some of it I'm not happy about, but but most of it I am. I think it, it stands up okay. I mean, I look back, and I have such fond feelings about that period of my life. You know, freedom choices. After losing her job at Viva, Betty Jane went on to be a columnist at dozens of magazines and newspapers. She'd built a tight professional community at Viva and collaborated with her former Viva colleagues for the rest of her career. And we may not have had the power. Look, I lost my job because I, you know, because we didn't have any power. But we, we had each other. The people they worked with were meaningful, and so was the time they were working in. And the resilience that we had in the 70s where the expectations were so low for us that whenever we did something that was better, it was like, whoa. Everything that we achieved was sort of like, whoa. I, you know, I did that. I could do that. After Viva, Robin went on to be the publisher of Mother Jones, the founder and CEO of Parenting Magazine, and a vice president at CNET. Today, she's an advisor to tech startups, and author of a book of business advice for women. And for the women of Viva, the sense of achievement that Robin just talked about, it meant everything. I sometimes wonder if that was a a period of, of plenty when we were allowed to blossom and move ahead. We were in a business that was a bit frontier, you know, Wild West, and, um, We picked it up and ran with it. If you were determined and you were good at it, you could go anywhere. Post-Viva, Gay went lots of places. She was the editor-in-chief of Working Woman, of Mirabella. She was a vice president at the New York Times. I didn't seem to want to get involved in the sexual freedoms of, of the time, but I did get very, very much turned on by the freedoms that women were achieving, to have your own money, to decide your own life, and so on. Those freedoms, to me, were and are so huge. And even for all its misfires, the ridiculous flaccid dicks, the gender caricature bosses, the feminist contradictions, Viva still meant something. It was a step forward. Like all the best kinds of failures, Viva was an ambitious one, born out of hope. It's a hopefulness many of us have in the beginning of our careers, if we're lucky. 
This feeling that what we do has or will soon have meaning, no matter how small. But it's a feeling that's hard to hold on to. As we're burned out and screwed over professionally, as cynicism creeps in, And maybe that's why I was attracted to Viva in the first place. That first time I saw it, when I was sitting at a desk at a women's magazine, feeling disillusioned myself. I could feel the hope and urgency in its pages. How the editors felt everything could change. It could all be different. And they could be part of how. They were planning a flag. They were planning a flag. It might not have worked, but I think they were they were really trying to do something. Yeah. Or at least to put a marker down so that you could come back and do what, what you're doing. Like, let's carry it on. Viva came out of a culture of risk-taking, of progression, of flawed people using their power to give others at least a bit more freedom, to try something innovative and new, even if it, too, was flawed. What I really admired about Bob and Kathy is that they were brave. They went where other people did not dare to go, but fantasized about going. And they took risks. And that was tremendous because it allowed all the rest of us to go further and further towards that without fear. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Kathy. Stift is an original podcast from iHeartMedia and Crooked Media. It's produced by Crooked Media. It's hosted and written by me, Jennifer Romolini and produced by Megan Donis. Sydney Rapp is our associate producer. Story editing by Mary Knopf. Music, sound design, and engineering by Hannes Brown. Our fact checker is Julia Paskin. Additional production support from Nafala Cato and Inez Maza. From Crooked Media, our executive producers are Sarah Geismer, Katie Long, and Mary Knopf, with special thanks to Allison Falzetta and Lyra Smith. From iHeartMedia, our executive producers are Beth Ann Macaluso and Julia Weaver. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., 
And I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right. 